I'm really excited to be here to talk to you all about FOIA today. Uh, FOIA is something that, that I am very passionate about. And you know, I had the chance to look at this exhibit on Tuesday, and I think from looking at it, it kind of shows both the promise and the problems with the Freedom of Information Act. I'll start by telling you a little bit about myself, what I do at EFF. We are a digital civil liberties nonprofit. So basically our mission is to defend civil liberties in the digital age. We're teams of activists, technologists, and lawyers. We fight in the courts and in public to make sure that the rights that we've had for the past 200 years get carried over into the future as our lives become increasingly digital. Part of that and part Specifically what I do is I work on cases related to national security, so I challenge the constitutionality and the legality of national security programs, surveillance programs, and I also sue the federal government when they fail to respond to our Freedom of Information Act requests. We use FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, to request information from the government about the types of surveillance that they're doing or new technologies that they're using to conduct surveillance, or the way that they've interpreted their surveillance authorities. And almost without exception, they deny our requests and we have to go to federal court and sue them to get them to produce information. So that's a little background about me and where I work. I'll tell you a little bit about the Freedom of Information Act. It is in my opinion, one of the most significant pieces of federal legislation in the past 70 years. I think the best way to understand FOIA is as a bit of a, a power struggle, right? And it's a power struggle in two respects. One, it's a power struggle in the sense of intra-branches of government. So in our federal system, we have, we have Congress, we have the judiciary, and we have the executive branch. Congress passed this law that says, hey, executive branch, you have to turn over documents in your possession about what you're doing. Oh, and by the way, Congress says, we're not going to make it apply to us, and we're also not gonna make it apply to the judiciary. In a way, it's this kind of power grab by Congress against the executive. And then in another sense, it's, it's a power grab on behalf of citizens towards the government, because FOIA passed in the mid-60s, kind of in response to the growing administrative state and uh, the growing amount of skepticism about what the federal government was doing to citizens. And it had its roots in the 50s, it never caught on, but in the 60s eventually it was passed. It was controversial. The president threatened to veto it, but didn't. And this is Lyndon Johnson, right? Uh, Lyndon Johnson had, he didn't have a public signing for it or anything, and instead of Reading it with much fanfare about the public's right to know and citizens' access to information, he, uh, he signed it in a private ceremony with a signing statement that said something along the lines of, this in no way inhibits the government's ability to protect classified information or any other information the executive branch needs to protect. So it was not, it was not welcomed by the executive branch. But I can't overstate the significance of FOIA in holding the government accountable and in transparency. It's used by journalists, it's used by researchers, it's used by advocacy groups like EFF. Every day, almost without exception, in the pages of newspapers around the country, there will be a story 
that will have its roots in documents obtained through FOIA. And it won't be in the lead of the story. The, the reporter won't say it. It's kind of subtle the way they'll reference it. They'll say, government documents obtained, right? It'll be this passive voice, but in the background, it's FOIA working to shed light on things. Advocacy groups use it, not just EFF, groups like ACLU, uh, environmental groups use it to, to get information about EPA regulations, all types of advocacy groups use FOIA. And researchers, the government is sitting on troves and troves of data, and researchers have access to it because of FOIA. But with all that said, FOIA obviously has problems. FOIA can be incredibly difficult to use. The average citizen, you know, journalists have trainings and training in it a lot. Lawyers are familiar with it. But uh, for, for just your average person, it can be a little difficult to use. Agencies have massive backlogs for processing FOIA requests. So even if you figure out how to use it properly, but, and you submit your request to the agency, it can take years sometimes. I've had requests pending with the FBI for three years now. And then there's also just general government intransigence and government secrecy problems. Depending on the agency that you're requesting information from, some are better than others. The more towards law enforcement and national security you get, the less responsive they are in terms of complying with FOIA requests. That's a bit of background about, about myself and about FOIA. And what I thought I'd do now is take a look at some of the art here and explain exactly what it is you're seeing. So when I look at FOIA documents, I see, I probably see them in a different light than other folks do. This, to some people, might be considered heavily redacted or something like that. For me, that is a light redaction. <laughs> in terms of the responses we normally get, that is uh, pretty light. FOIA generally requires the government to release records that have been requested by an individual. And there are nine exemptions to that rule. So the government can use those nine exemptions to withhold information, so long as the information falls within one of those nine narrow exemptions. So these little notes here in the side are the exemptions that the FBI has claimed to withhold the information. So B2 protects internal policy documents. B7, protects the identity of confidential informants. B7C up there pr protects uh, personal privacy when it's contained within a law enforcement record. A lot of times, if you know the exemption that's being claimed, you can actually tell what's being withheld. So these are all the names of confidential informants that were involved in reporting on this artist to the FBI. These B7Cs are, these are people who were involved in the investigation, but were not informants, but were probably also under investigation by the FBI. But they've redacted their name because the government's theory is disclosing it would be a violation of their privacy because it would you know, reveal that they were under investigation by the FBI and that you know, perhaps in the, I guess this is from the 50s, that they were a member of the Communist Party or something like that. In looking at these, I think some people might say, oh, this is so ridiculous. They're withholding information about investigating this artist who has never done anything. 
And I would actually kind of look at it in a different light, in my view, kind of a great triumph of FOIA, right? So this, these documents were created when J. Edgar Hoover was investigating tens of thousands of people around the country. His FBI never had the slightest inclination that any of these documents would ever see the light of day, that anybody would ever know about what they were doing. They thought that this could just go on in perpetuity and you know, all these innocent people that were swept up in his investigations would, n would never catch wind of it. And you know, because of FOIA, we are much more familiar with the scope of these investigations that they, that they did in the 50s and 60s. Rightly, it gives us, gives us a little more skepticism about FBI's investigations. Another interesting thing is this B2 exemption that they've claimed. In 2010, the Supreme Court overturned that exemption. So if he re-requested this information today, he could get more information. So a lot of times people, when they see redactions like this, they'll think, oh, it's classified, right? The information is classified. Classification is actually a separate issue than just withholding information. So classification, in order for something to be classified, its disclosure has to threaten national security. And it has its own exemption in FOIA, it's exemption B1. So you can see here that B7 and B7D were claimed and not B1. So we know that disclosure of that information would not threaten national security. It's just a question of uh, personal privacy and the identity of a confidential informant. In moving on from the non-classified world to the classified world, we get to the CIA and their somewhat perplexing treatment of this request. So we can see here, this is the CIA's response to the request from the artist for records and photographs of the 29 paintings which hang in the CIA headquarters. The CIA responded by saying, FOIA only provides access to government records. And that apparently, records and photographs of the 29 paintings did not constitute government records. So this response is a fine example of government bureaucracy trying to stifle transparency. This actually isn't a question of classification or of national security. This is just the CIA being difficult with a requester. They do this for a couple reasons. Number one is they get a huge quantity of FOIA requests. So what they do is, in order to reduce the backlogs that they're required to report to Congress, they play games with their responses. And they'll say, oh, the information you requested isn't a record, it's you asked for photographs, that's not a record. If we sued them, they would lose on that and they would have to produce the information unless, unless it was exempt under. And this goes back to what I was saying before because FOIA can be difficult to use for kind of a layperson. This response is basically an insurmountable obstacle and then she actually, she did try to appeal, and they said, we didn't give you an appeal. So it's a type of insane 
kind of Kafkaesque process where you can't appeal the incorrect determination that the CIA gave you in the first place. That's a world that I get caught in quite a bit, but I'm, I luckily can go to court and say, have uh, a federal judge look at this, something like this, and federal judges, you know, this would be an easy question. I, I bring somewhat more difficult questions, but you know, a federal judge would order them to produce the records in a heartbeat. I have, I have no question about this. She did end up getting some records. You can see that unlike most CIA productions, there's actually a good bit of information that was released. The CIA is among the worst agencies in terms of uh, the public's ability to, to access the information. And so the exemption that they rely on is, first of all, for classified information, which I, which I mentioned over there. And they also have a statutory exemption from FOIA. So Congress passed a law saying, CIA, you don't need to produce this information. And unfortunately, that allows the CIA to, to operate with almost near impunity in terms of what they do. And we're forced to rely almost entirely on leaks from the government or you know, outside sources to hold CIA actions in check. And this kind of bloated secrecy, something that I'm personally very familiar with, some secrecy is obviously necessary. And I can give you an example from the work that I do. Starting around 2008, uh, senators on the intelligence committees started saying publicly in kind of cryptic ways that if the American public found out how the NSA had interpreted some of its surveillance authorities, they would be upset. And so we requested access, not to information about the specifics of what they were doing, but just to how they had interpreted the law. And they wouldn't turn it over for, so we sued them in 2012, and it took Edward Snowden leaking a huge amount of information before they finally changed their story and released some of the legal interpretations that were, they were relying on. And it turned out that, in fact, the public was pretty upset about what they were doing and the way that they had interpreted the law. The law, if, if there had been any back and forth between attorneys, any type of adversarial process, they would have it almost unquestionably come out in a different place about what the law allowed and what it didn't. But because they were able to operate in complete secrecy, they, it, it distorted their authority and it distorted what they could do. So my view is that there will always be some information that should be secret, but absolute and blanket secrecy, which is essentially what the CIA gets um, and the NSA to a certain extent is, is too much. I guess it's also worth noting that the classification scheme in the United States is absolutely broken. And so information that is publicly available, I, I know of people who have found stuff in the library that the government claims is classified. So if you can go to a public library and pull something off the shelf and it doesn't make much sense to argue that that information would threaten national security if it was disclosed.